Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. It's, uh, this, this is not at all in this sermon, but this is just a funny thing as uh, Pastor Amy was talking about doing things old school. I remember when I was, when Farrell and I were first married, um, we had a credit card because, you know, credit cards were awesome. Uh, but uh, in, our, in our premarital work and, and some of our stuff like that, we got the advice that in order to, to stick to a budget, you'd stick cash in envelopes and you'd write on the envelope, this is our money for groceries and then one, this is our money for fun and this is our money for whatever, right? And that's how you stuck to a budget. Interestingly enough, because, um, I mean, if you just use a credit card, that's like fake money, right? Credit cards are like fake money, right? Interestingly enough, nowadays, it's the opposite. I've heard people talk about how if they, if they use their credit card or debit card, they get, you know, an accounting of that. At the end of the month, they know where they spent their money. But if they use cash, it's like fake. And they just spend it because it just feels like free money. So you just spend it all the time. Isn't it interesting how that's just switched? It's just a funny thing. So anyways, just a, just a funny thing. If you do old school stuff with cash or checks, now you can do that in the offering box. Or if you really want to keep a reminder, a reminder of where your money goes, you can use your credit card. So there you go. Fun stuff. Well, God is good, is he not? He is. He is. Today's a good day, and we have a really good God. We have a really good God. Um, did you know that, uh, that babies, children, toddlers, have the ability to communicate before they have the ability to speak? Now, this makes sense. It's not, it's not earth-shattering. Babies cry when they're hungry or they have something wrong with them. They cry, and, and moms and dads try to figure out what does that cry mean. And sometimes moms especially will figure out exactly what that pitch of cry means. So they... They, babies communicate through their cries. But I'm not really talking about that. What I'm talking about is that toddlers, like little, little children, they will often be able to understand words and they'll want to communicate words to you. The part of their brain that contemplates and understands words usually works before the part of their brain that is verbally able to express those words. So they know what they want to say before they can actually say it. For this reason, there are parents who teach their babies baby sign language so that they can communicate what they want to say. And we did this with our kids when they were little. Um, they knew the sign for milk. This is baby sign language, not actual adult sign language, though it's sometimes similar. But they knew the word for milk, um, for more, uh, the word for water, even for thank you and for help. Like, it was really cool to see the kids sign these things before they could verbally express what they wanted to say. Well, there was this one time that Farrell and I, uh, when Gavin was just a little toddler and he couldn't speak yet, we were in our front room of our house and we were doing something out there and we kind of heard this sound kind of at the back of the house that kind of sounded like thumping. Like somebody was back in the back of the house thumping. So we were like confused. What does this sound mean? So we went to investigate and we walked into Gavin's bedroom and there he was upended into his toy box. So you could just see his little feet kind of dangling out of his toy box there. And he was just signing the word for help. <laughs> just upside down in the toy box. We 
popped him out of the toy box. He didn't cry. He wasn't distressed. He just kept on signing until we showed up. He popped him out of the box, and on he went with his day. No tears, no problem, nothing. It's amazing, amazing what happens. You know, it's amazing to see children begin to communicate with the people around them. As they begin to talk to, to people, as they begin to talk with people, as they begin to ask questions, you've probably been around a kid as they've been exploring and they, they want to know who you are and what you do and, and they begin conversations with you. Well, there's this progression to our children as they grow. They, they start off crying. This basic form of communication that hardly anybody understands, but they cry and then they maybe learn baby sign language. They move into simple words or complex sentences, and children go through this process of being able to communicate better and better with the people around them. In a similar way, we are working through a series on on prayer where we're going through a four-stage progression on what prayer looks like. We started off last week with talking to God. Uh, Today, we're looking at talking with God. Next week, it's listening to God, and then the week after that is being with God. And, and while the spiritual journey is not always linear, most of us learn to pray just like children pray. We kind of build on our understanding and we grow in our vocabulary, our grammar, our ability to communicate with God. We might start in our walk with God just saying, Daddy. We might move on quickly to being able to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. And then we move into this other space. We begin with talking to God, just with these prayers. But then we move into maybe something that's maybe a little more personalized, a relationship that's grounded in our thoughts and our feelings. And so we begin, as we talk to to God in these recited prayers, to talking with God as we share with Him some of the stuff that's most intimate about who we are. If you've got your Bibles with you, you can pop over to to uh, Luke chapter 11. It's going to be on the screen as well. But last week, Pastor Amy did a fantastic job in speaking to us about uh, pre-written prayers. And these are found all throughout Scripture. They're found all through the Psalms. Uh, They're found in uh, Luke 11 is one of them. There's lots of other pre-written prayers. This one's the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11. And in this passage, this passage begins with Jesus' disciples saying, hey, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And Jesus starts off with this pre-written prayer, and he says, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. Then he goes through the Lord's Prayer. Now, immediately after this little section where he teaches them how to pray this pre-written prayer, he continues to teach them how to pray in the second half of Luke chapter 11, which we are going to look at today. So here's what Jesus says right after he says, Pray like this, the Lord's Prayer. Then he says this. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on, a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, I love that word, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, in this story, 
Uh, Jesus is using a form of rabbinic teaching that the New Testament scholars call how much more. It's not a fancy word. It's just how much more. Because you see Jesus use this term, how much more, many times as he's teaching. And Jesus uses this form of teaching to prove a point. Now, the point that Jesus is not trying to to come across with God is that God is a grumpy neighbor. Jesus is not saying that God is a grumpy neighbor with a do not disturb sign on his front door that if you bang loudly enough on his door, he will finally get up and give you what you want. That's not what Jesus is saying. The point is this. Jesus is saying, if your grumpy, begrudging neighbor will answer your request, how much more Well, your Father in heaven, who is not like a grumpy, begrudging neighbor. Jesus goes on in verse 9, and it becomes a little clearer for us. Jesus says this, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. See, our Father in heaven is not the grumpy neighbor Our Father in heaven eagerly invites us to seek, to ask, seek, and knock because he wants to give. Our God in heaven is a generous giver and he wants to give. Now I want you to keep on looking because Jesus goes into another illustration here. So he started with the Lord's Prayer and then he began talking about this grumpy, begrudging neighbor. And then he says, ask, seek, and knock. And he's, he's wanting to give us another example because he is sure that we're not quite getting it yet. So here's what Jesus says, starting in verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Now, Jesus has moved from this grumpy, begrudging neighbor to an evil father. And even you who are evil fathers don't give snakes to your children when they ask for uh, an egg or, or, or bread or any of these type of things. You know to give good things to your children even though you are evil compared to God who is wonderful, holy, righteous, and loving. Our Heavenly Father gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So Jesus goes through this progression in this chapter, starting with the Lord's Prayer, this pre-made prayer, our Father who is in heaven. But then Jesus invites his disciples to move into a more intimate relationship with their Heavenly Father to ask, seek, and knock. Jesus invites us as well to begin more of a conversation with God, Now we're going to talk about what does it look like to have a conversation with God? What does it look like to talk with God? Well, there's three subcategories we're going to talk about today. Three points we're going to talk about. And those three points are are, are what were we talking about, what it looks like to talk with God. And those three points are gratitude, lament, and petition slash intercession. So we're going to start with gratitude. So gratitude is talking with God about what is good in your life, what's good in your world, what's good around you. What is good? As we look at prayer, gratitude is not just the beginning of prayer. Now, sometimes when we go through these prayer practices, um, people say, you have to start with saying thank you to God, and and that's a good start, but then we're going to move on to something different. But gratitude is not just the beginning of prayer. It's at the heart and soul of our whole relationship with God. I want you to think of it this way. 
Our God, at his core, is generous. He's self-giving. He, he is, he is others-focused. He is a God who loves extraordinarily. He is a God that shows up before we even think of him. He's a God that gives before we even ask. In John 3.16, one of the most famous uh, passages in the Bible, uh, Jesus talks about God. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. In Galatians chapter 1, 4, Paul talks about what Jesus did. Paul says that Jesus gave himself for our sins. The Father gave the Son, and the Son gave his life. And, and we read in, in passages like in John chapter 14, John chapter 20, Acts chapter 1, lots of different passages all throughout Scripture, uh, that the Father and the Son together give the Holy Spirit. We actually read it in this passage that we're looking at in Luke chapter 11, that the Father gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Generosity is at the center of the gospel. It's at the center of who God is. He's a generous God. God is always giving, and we are always receiving. Now, I know for some of us, that's hard to hear, isn't it? Some of us don't like to receive anything. I've actually encountered a lot of people that are like, I don't need anything. I don't need anything, I don't want anything, don't give me anything, I don't want to receive. But receiving is the primary way that we relate to God as receivers. As receivers, we connect with our Heavenly Father. He is always giving and we are always receiving. Gratitude is recognizing that our Heavenly Father is generous and we receive that generosity. To not receive what God is generously giving would be a travesty. Can you imagine standing before God and God saying, I kept trying to give you stuff. I kept trying to give you love. I kept trying to give you hope. I kept trying to give you peace. And you were like, I don't need none of that. Can you imagine standing before God and not receiving what he's giving? Paul writes that we are meant to be overflowing with thankfulness in Colossians chapter 2, 7. Not overflowing with like, I don't need what you have, but overflowing with this idea that, God, I am so grateful for what you've given. God is the giver. We are the receiver. Generosity and gratitude define the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. Every moment of every day is a gift we receive from our generous Heavenly Father. Now, this is not to say that life is always easy. It's not that life is always, you know, roses and, and, and uh, butterflies and all that kind of stuff. Life is sometimes difficult. We're going to talk about that in a moment. First, we just need to get past this gratitude part. Every breath, everything we have, all the things that are in this life that are good and holy and wonderful and righteous, these are gifts that have come from God. And gratitude is our first position as we enter into prayer, that we are grateful for what God has done. We pray with gratitude, talking with God about all the things that are good in our life and in the world. Our second way of praying is that this, this space of praying that recognizes that not everything is beautiful. This second way of praying is lament. Lament is talking with God about what is evil in our lives or in the world or in the places around us. Because the honest truth is that while we practice gratitude for every breath, our life and world are full of things that are not good. They're full of things that are not very beautiful. In fact, there are things in life that we experience and we walk through, things that are happening in this world that are ugly and evil. The enemy is here to always steal, kill, and destroy. 
So if, if God over here is the God who gives hope and gives life and is always giving and always generous, on the other side we have the devil, the, the enemy who is here to steal, kill, and destroy. And so this world does have stuff in it that's broken, that's, that's not good, that's not beautiful, things that are ugly and evil. Well, what are we to do with all the pain and the suffering that we, we walk through, that we experience, that we see in our world? What are we to do with all of this that sometimes takes root in our heart? Well, one solution that I'm offering for you today is that we should pray it. We should pray it. It's no secret that many Christians find prayer boring. I think one reason for that is because sometimes we aren't actually praying, we're performing. We're so used to performing in our life with other people, with, with the world around us. We edit our thoughts so that they're, they're more palatable to people. We, we try to present a polished image of ourself to the world. We, we try to do things that will make people love us, to, to, to make people stay with us, to not reject us or abandon us. We, we try to do things that will help us to succeed and fail. We say what we need to say and we do what we need to do to put on a mask and act a part and perform in this world so that we will be able to fit into this world and succeed in this world. And sometimes, sometimes, we carry this way of performance into our relationship with God. And we perform for God. We put on a smiling mask and we say, I'm grateful, God, and everything is fine here, and I'm good, and I'm happy, and nothing's wrong, and look at me, I've done all the things that I'm supposed to do, and I've done it all right, and life is hunky-dory. C.S. Lewis has said that what we need to do is we need to lay before God what is in us, not what ought to be in us. I mean, the, the honest truth is just this. Sometimes we are in a messed up world and sometimes we're messed up. And if we choose to only come before God and perform in front of Him as if everything is fine and we're fine and all the things are hunky-dory, we're not going to be able to get very far. Learning to pray is about learning to bring all that we are to God because He already knows all that is inside of us. He already knows. Think of Psalm 139. Verses 1 to 4, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Talking honestly with God about our pain is a, is a type of prayer called lament. Now, we should be familiar with lament because we've spoken about lament lots before and we've spoken about grief lost before and bringing our griefs before God, bringing our laments before God. We, we know that in order to walk into a place of wholeness and healing and, and what God wants for us, we need to be honest with our grief and our lament. Do you know upwards of two-thirds of the Psalms, the, these, these 150 different prayers or, or songs written in the Bible, up to two-thirds of those are, 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 are psalms that have great lament and grief in them. Some of them are even called imprecatory psalms. Some of these psalms are full of rage and anger and vengeance and jealousy and envy and doubt and depression and, and way worse. When we read some of these psalms, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I should be reading this out loud. Like, I think I should be quietly reading this to myself somewhere in a closet because some of these psalms start off really, really rough. Why would God put these psalms, these prayers into Scripture? Why would He do that? 
because these things are common to our experience. This is what we go through. Have you ever felt anger or rage at injustice or at the person driving in front of you? Have you ever wanted vengeance upon somebody who's done something wrong to you or done something wrong to someone you love? Have you been filled with jealousy or envy or doubt or depression? Here's one. Have you ever second-guessed the the goodness of God? Looked at what's happening around you and, and thought, how can God be good if this is what's happening? Well, you're not alone. Read the Psalms. Some of the Psalms question the goodness of God. God, where are you? Where are you, God? Have you felt like you couldn't express these things to God, this stuff that boils within your heart? Well, guess what? He already knows. He already knows. And God is not afraid of your feelings. He's not afraid of your feelings. he's He's not shocked off of his throne with what you're feeling and what you're thinking and what you're going through. He knows you feel this way, and God doesn't want you running into the darkness to try and hide. God invites you to express those feelings to him. God wants you to bring all the rubbish right into the throne room, right into the throne room, to come cozy up beside him and pour it all out. Can you imagine? Can you imagine coming in front of a holy God and expressing your doubts about his goodness? You are invited to do that. You're invited to come into the presence of God to express all of these things. Lament, especially when directed towards God, is an emotionally healthy way of processing the pain in our lives and the pain that's in our world. Learn to complain to God. Here's a good good complaint. God, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it's supposed to be, God. The nice thing about this is God isn't up there going, well, I don't know what to do about it. (laughs) He says back to you, you're right. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it's supposed to be. You see, if if we bottle this all up, if we stuff it down inside and put on a happy face, then this will eat us up inside. Lament and grief wadded up into a ball inside of us will literally become a cancer and destroy us. There's all kinds of health problems linked with undealt, linked back to undealt, undealt with lament and grief. The other option is that, that if we don't want to bottle it up, we can share it just with everybody around us. And sometimes we do this, right? We go on Facebook or we go on, on some other kind of uh, media, social media, and we just complain to the world all of our problems. We fire off random bazookas of anger and rage into the world, and, and, we, and we just, we just kind of just let the world have it not caring who we're shooting down. See, if we, if we bottle it up or if we just let it just flow all over the place, either of those ways are inappropriate ways to deal with our lament and our grief. If we don't deal with lament and grief appropriately and bring it to God, then we will only create havoc for ourselves and everyone around us. What if instead, what if instead we were to take this lament and grief and we were to turn it into prayer? Channel it all into prayer and come to our Heavenly Father with it. The the social activist J.T. Thomas calls this pray test. 
Instead of protest, pray test. That we're meant to pray test. We're meant to, to bring this stuff before the throne room of God, pray testing all the evil and injustice in the world. Because this is where something can happen. This is where change can be made. Anne Voskamp said that lament is a cry of belief in a good God, a God who has his ear to our hearts, a God who transfigures the ugly into beauty. Lately, I don't know about you, but there's a lot around the world to be grief-stricken by. There's a lot of horrors happening in our world. I've been, I've been reading up a bit about the war that continues to happen in the Ukraine. I've been reading up about what's happening in Israel and Gaza. And, and I'm, I'm grief-stricken. I'm grief-stricken by it. It used to be that soldiers would face each other before they did horrible atrocities and killed each other. But now there are missiles that are shot by somebody who lives in a far-off country, pushes a button, and a missile goes from one place to another, and it, it hits a hospital or it hits a, a school or it hits a home or it goes into a, a neighborhood where there's no war going on at all, and, and it destroys people's lives who are not even in the middle of the conflict. And it's almost too much grief to take. And so I pray, oh Lord, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Where do we take our laments if not to God? He's the one person who can feel the full weight of the brokenness. He knows what's going on even better than CNN or CBC or whatever. He knows what's happening even right down to the people who are experiencing it at the moment. He knows the full weight of the brokenness and he is the one person who can and is actively working out a way to save. He is actively working out a way for his kingdom to come. So when we lament and we grieve and we say, oh Lord, this is not the way it's supposed to be, we come to God with this, with this posture of going, God, would you do something about this? Would you do something about this? And, and this leads us into our third way of praying. Because as we lament, we naturally lead into this place of petition and intercession, which is asking God to fulfill his promises to overcome evil with good. Now, petition and intercession are basically the same things. In petition, I'm asking God to intercede in my life. In intercession, I'm asking God to intercede in the lives of the people around me. And both petition and intercession are summarized by Jesus' invitation in, in Luke chapter 11 to ask. Paul Miller in his book, A Praying Life, writes this. He says, all of Jesus' teaching on prayer in the Gospels can be summarized with one word, ask. We see it all over, don't we? Jesus consistently says, asks, ask and it will be given to you. Jesus regularly, when he walks up to people who are hurting, he says to them, what would you like? What do you want me to do for you? What, do you, what is in your life that you would like changed? See, often we, we think and we think and we think and we think about our problems, but seldom do we ever stop and ask Jesus to do something about them. Do you find this true in your life? Do you, do you sometimes fixate on the problem and, and, and just fixate and fixate and fixate on the problem before finally at some point you might, if you ever do, you might turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, can you do something about this? I know, it, I know in my life, oftentimes, I'll be thinking about a problem for days sometimes. And somebody else comes along and say, have you prayed about that yet? And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> Maybe I should pray about this. 
19th century Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon said, whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. James tells us in James chapter 4, verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask God. What a funny little thing to have in the Bible. You do not have because you do not ask God. God is a giving God, but we seldom ask. We seldom ask. And when we ask, we often don't ask the way that Jesus taught us to ask. Do you know that Jesus actually taught us how we're supposed to ask for things? Jesus said that we are to ask for things in his name. Ask for things in my name. If you guys have read John at all, if you've been with us through the summertime, this summer we went through the book of John and we, we, we read many passages this summer even that, talks, that, that look at where Jesus over and over and over again says, ask for anything in my name and I'll give it to you. This is what John 14, 13 says. I will do whatever you ask in my name. Now this is, this is a little bit, we have to be careful with this, right? Because oftentimes we think we know what Jesus is saying when he says, ask in my name. Uh, most people, they'll just put a tagline at the end of their prayer, in Jesus' name. They'll just put it at the end. They'll just kind of drop it off and they'll say, Jesus, give me a million dollars in Jesus' name. Almost as an afterthought or autopilot or some kind of magic words we throw in Jesus' name in there and move on, thinking that now Jesus will just do it because he said he will do anything if we ask in his name. So Jesus, give me a million dollars in Jesus' name. But that's not what Jesus means when he invites us to pray in his name. It isn't this magical incantation that we can add to the end of our prayer to get what we want. See, praying in Jesus' name is a recognition of position. It's a recognition of position. I'm going to explain this with two different thoughts here. First, praying in Jesus' name is to invoke our status as his children, those who are in Christ. Positionally, we are in Christ, seated in heavenly places. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Also in Romans chapter 8, 16, uh, Paul also says here for us, the Spirit himself testifies that with our spirit that we are God's children. We are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. It means that when we come to our heavenly Father in prayer, we have to recognize our position. We don't come as beggars. We come as royal sons and daughters adopted into the family through Christ and seated with him where God rules and reigns. We come in the name and the authority of King Jesus with full access to the full resources of the kingdom. Praying in Jesus' name is to invoke our status as those who are in Christ, children in the throne room of our Father. And secondly, praying in Jesus' name is to pray in alignment with Christ. In the ancient world, a person's name was synonymous with their nature or their character. We ask in Jesus' name when we ask for the kinds of things Jesus would ask for. We pray in alignment with Jesus. We position ourselves with Jesus. See, this is the, the beautiful thing that happens. Jesus is wanting to go this direction, and when we line up with Jesus, we line up with the direction he's wanting to go, and we go in the same direction. This is why if we pay close attention to the prayers of Scripture, some of these pre-written prayers or some of the, the faithful prayers the people of, of God have prayed, if we look at some of those prayers, whether it be all the way back with Moses in the Old Testament or some of the prayers that we see from Paul in the New Testament, we see that they don't, they don't pray their problems, they pray the promises of God. 
Did you know that God is a God of his word? He does what he says he's going to do. God honors his promises. The people of God call on God to to do what they know God desires and has already promised to do. They pray for God to do the things he said that he would do. That's what they're praying for. For instance, God promises all over the Bible that he will provide for the widows and the orphans. This is a common theme throughout Scripture. God will look after the widows and the orphans. I just want to draw your attention to two Psalms where he says this. So Psalm 68 Father to the fatherless and a protector of widows is God. That's who he is. Father to the fatherless and a protector of widows is God. Psalm 146, the Lord upholds the widow and the fatherless. And there's many other passages where it shows that God is looking after the the widow and the fatherless. God promises to provide for widows and orphans. That's what he promises all over scripture. Therefore, whenever I have opportunity to pray for someone who is a widow, or someone who is an orphan. I'm like, hey God, I'm praying for my friend here who is a widow or who is fatherless. And you said, God, you said that you would uphold them and protect them, so do it. Do it, God. Honor your promise. Uphold them. Protect my friend. Be a father to the fatherless and a protector of widows. Honor your promise, God. Honor your promise. And you know what? He does. He does. When we pray God's promises, we already know that God honors his promises. And we can have a testimony time right now of people coming forward and saying, yep, I've seen God honor his promises. I've seen God show up and do what he says that he's going to do. So praying in Jesus' name is a matter of position. First, praying from our position of being in Christ and then praying from the position of being in alignment with God's promises. This is what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Now, there's another aspect to our prayers. We must also believe that our prayers actually make a difference. It it makes no sense that we would pray a prayer and then go like, "Ah, I'm sure God won't do anything. That makes no sense. Walter Wink, uh, who's a theologian, said said, said it this way. He says, intercessory prayer is spiritual defiance of what is in the way of what God has promised. History belongs to the intercessors, who believe the future into being, even a small number of people can decisively affect the shape the future holds. These shapers of the future are the intercessors. Now, tragically, many Christians think that prayer makes no difference whatsoever. Many Christians who believe in God, those who have been saved, who have been set apart, believe that prayer probably doesn't make any difference. If I pray or if I don't pray, God's just going to do whatever he wants to do. We don't believe that prayer changes things, that through prayer we can decisively affect the shape of the future. We don't believe that that prayer is spiritual defiance against what is against God. Here's an interesting one. In Matthew chapter 16, 18, uh, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We often think that Jesus is saying that the that the church sitting here as the gates of hell come against us, we won't be overcome by the gates of hell. We, we often think that, which sounds great, and it, I guess it's comforting in some sense that we can huddle together here and we go, oh great, the gates of hell aren't going to attack us. But it doesn't make any sense, does it? Who here uses a gate as an, un, as an offensive structure? Nobody. You don't use gates for offensive structure. Gates are for defense. 
Gates are for defense. Here's the thing. The church is not being protected from the gates of hell coming against us. Hell is trying to protect itself from the onslaught of the church moving out into the world. You don't need to be afraid of hell. I mean, get me in the right idea, okay? If you are, if you, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, you need, to be, you need to be afraid of hell. Come to Jesus, okay? But you church, praying church, you guys don't need to be afraid of hell. Hell is afraid of you. Hell is afraid of you. When you step into what Jesus has invited you into, as you step into prayer, as you step into saying, God's kingdom come, God's will done here on earth as it is in heaven, you are advancing the kingdom and the gates of hell are shuddering against the weight of the praying church. The gates of hell are actively being pushed back and terrain is being taken. The darkness is running away and people are being saved when you pray God's kingdom come, God's will done. The gates of hell can't stand up against the praying church. We, we get this backwards. The church mobilized into prayer is a mighty weapon against the darkness. The gates of hell cannot stand against a church that prays. So are you praying? Are you praying? Are you praying for your neighborhood? Are you praying for your family members? Are you praying for your community? Are you praying for your country? This is not in my notes at all, so here we go. Um, every time, so, okay, okay, politics. We're not talking politics. But what we are talking about is that there are people who are praying terrible things against our government, okay? Every time I see a, a sticker, which you, if you, would you join me in this? Join me in this. Maybe explain it first. Every time I see an, a, a sticker, F. Trudeau. You guys know what I'm saying? I don't have to get into it. You guys understand. Okay, there's all kinds of different symbols for this as well, okay? Every time I see that I've committed to God, God, I will pray. I will pray for my government. I'll pray for my, my federal government. All the names of all the politicians I can think of. I'll pray for, for my provincial government. All the names of the politicians I can think of. I'll pray for my local community government. All the names of the politicians I can think of. And goodness gracious, if I don't spend almost all of my time driving around Grand Prairie praying. Because like, I'm not like, okay, God, if I just see it once, I'll just pray once. I'm like, every time I see it, Lord. So I'm gassing up at Costco, and I'm like, I'm not even going to look. I can't look. <laughs> I can't look. Okay. But would you join me? And maybe it doesn't have to be so robust. But every time you see one of these stickers, would you just say, God, bless the government. Help them to lead but with Christian principles. Help them to make decisions that are godly decisions. Lord, would you save them? Would, would you help them come to salvation? Would you change their lives? Would you join me every time you see one of those stickers to pray for our government? Are we praying for our neighbors and our community and our world? Are we praying actively that the gates of hell will be destroyed, knocked back, so the enemy will be knocked back, that he would run, that the darkness would flee, and that the, the space would be taken for the Lord, his kingdom would come, and that people would be saved, his will would be done. See, we're praying in partnership with Jesus when we do this. We are praying God's promises that he desires that none would perish, he desires that everyone would have an opportunity to hear his gospel. Prayer is God's invitation for us to partner with him in the shaping of humanity and building his kingdom. So as we pray with gratitude and lament and petition intercession, we know that prayer is the way that we partner with God in seeing his kingdom come. Now, 
here's the thing. We're, we're, I'm, I'm landing this plane, okay? So we have the worship team. You guys can come on up. We often talk about prayer. I'm preaching about prayer. All month long, we're preaching about prayer. I hope you're in small groups, because in our, our, our connect groups, I hope that you're in those connect groups, because they, they're going through this process of, of, of prayer. If you're not, talk to Pastor Amy. We'll see if we can get you loaded up with a connect group. Uh, but we often talk about prayer, we preach about prayer, we read about prayer, but then we don't pray. So we're going to pray. So we're going to take a couple of minutes now just to pray, and we're going to go through this process, gratitude, lament, and petition intercession, and it's going to take us like a minute. That's it. It's going to be fast. Okay? So we're going to start with gratitude. So just as you're sitting right there, just get yourself into a posture of prayer. If you want to close your eyes, close your eyes. If you want to keep your eyes open, it doesn't bother me at all. Put yourself in a posture of talking with God. We're going to start with gratitude, and as you're sitting right now in your own head, just think of what is good in your life that you can be thankful for, and take 10 seconds right now to talk with God and say, thank you, God, for. So you got 10 seconds. Thank you, God, for, and in your own head, just pray that right now. Now we're going to move into lament. What is not good? What is evil? What is in your life or your world that, that you need to bring to God? So I want you to just take 10 seconds right now to talk with God. And you can start by saying uh, this. Whatever this is, is not the way it's supposed to be, God. So just take 10 seconds to recognize the things in your world that are not the way they're supposed to be. 10 seconds to lament. Go ahead right now. Now we want to move into petition and intercession. We're going to ask God to fulfill his promises to overcome evil with good. So I want you to think of something. Maybe it's what you prayed the lament against. Maybe you want to think about a neighbor in your neighborhood that doesn't, who doesn't know Jesus. Or you want to think about an injustice in the world. Or a brokenness in your family. Or something that's come against you. Just allow the Holy Spirit to bring to mind whatever that is, something that He wants to change. I want you to just take 10 seconds now to ask God to overcome evil with good. Jesus, we just pray all these things in your wonderful and precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand and join us in our closing song. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ, and then make him known.